This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word, the Epistle of Paul to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We read verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11 of Philippians 1. The text this evening is verses 9, 10, and 11. 9 through 11 of Philippians 1. Hear the word of God. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. The text is verses 9 10 and 11, the last three verses that we read tonight. When Reformed people, when Protestant Reformed people hear the word love, mentioned in today's church and church world, they often grow suspicious. There is great suspicion because often What is meant by the word love is an erroneous, a wrong idea of love. For churches today, in the name of love, water down doctrine. They compromise the truth. They ignore what Scripture says. In the name of love, there is no sharpness in the preaching that there ought to be. In the name of love, there is no fighting for the faith once delivered to the saints. 
And in the name of love, there is no discipline of false teaching or of sin. While claiming to love with the outward niceties, there is actually the opposite. A lack of love toward God and His truth. There's a lack of love toward God and toward the neighbor. For if sin is condoned and false teaching is allowed to continue, then the people are led to confusion and to hell itself. Outward niceties are often not love, but the opposite of it. In the church world, forgotten is that verse in 1 Corinthians 13, which we will quote repeatedly this evening. But in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, we read that love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. That's true love. Often, churches who have that erroneous kind of love point an accusing finger of a church faithful to truth and condemn that church as unloving and hateful instead. And so among us, beloved, among us, because of this erroneous conception of love, we may grow suspicious of that word. But as understandable as that may be, it ought not be that we are a reactionary people in hearing such false ideas of love, we throw out love altogether. For is it not true that love is at the heart of the gospel? That God is love, and out of love He gave His Son of love to us. And is not the proper response of thanks toward this God of love exactly our love to Him and love for our neighbor? Is that not what we read every Sunday morning? Or are we not listening after the law is read? The calling to love. Is it not true that without love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, we are nothing, and though we have all knowledge and all faith so as to remove mountains, we are nothing? Or just a loud noise, like sounding brass or tinkling cymbals. In our text this evening, the Spirit guides us unto a prayer for this love that we ought not throw out, but desire and desire to grow in. Paul prays this prayer for the church so that the church may pray this prayer with him. That your love may abound yet more and more. Preceding context shows us Paul exemplifying this love 
He prays in thanks to God, verses 3 and 4, we have already considered. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. We see his example of love. Always in every prayer of mine, he says, for you all making requests with joy. He tells those Philippians, in love for you, I give thanks to God for you. And in love for you, I pray for you. And now, now in our text, 9 through 11, Paul gets to the content of his prayer. He speaks of his prayer in verse 3 and 4. And now he explains to the Philippians exactly what he prays for. That your love may abound in knowledge and in all judgment. Consider this text with me under the theme, a pastoral prayer for more discerning love. A pastoral prayer for more discerning love. First, the discerning love, what he prays for. Second, the prayer for it. And then finally, the goal of this prayer and the goal of this love. Let us in this first point consider briefly what love is generally, and then, and then in this first point we move to the discerning kind of love that Paul emphasizes. Love is one of those familiar sounding concepts with which everyone thinks he or she understands, and few in this world truly do. So young people, young people, especially you, but all of us. Listen, it is critical that you understand what true love is. Defined, biblical love is a mind-governed delight in another. A mind-governed delight in another, which unconditionally strives for a bond or a relationship or friendship, which unconditionally strives for a relationship or friendship by acts of self-sacrificial giving. By acts of self-sacrificial giving. That's love defined. Biblical love is a mind-governed delight in another which unconditionally strives for a bond of friendship by acts of self-sacrificial giving. That definition I I derive from Scripture as it explains God's love for us. For God is love. 1 John 4 verse 8 and 16 show that to us. God doesn't just have love. God is love. He's the epitome of love. His very being and nature is love. So if you want to talk about what love is, you have to understand God's love. Who He is. God shows us that love is delight in another. Or it is to take pleasure in another. To have an affection for another. Deuteronomy 10 verse 15, only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them 
And he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Deuteronomy 10 verse 15 points us to the fact that love is the delight in another. It is what God has in himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had this love, this delight, this pleasure in himself for one another as the persons of the Trinity. From eternity he had this love without a need for us. It is delight. Our love then, too, if it is true love, it is a delight in God. And it's a delight in each other. Secondly, this delight is mind-governed. We're going to come back to this soon because this is the emphasis of our text. But for now, briefly, love is mind-governed. Most in this world have a false view of love that it is primarily feelings, and it's governed by feelings. And now we say, not in denial that love includes feelings, but that those feelings are governed by the mind by knowledge, by thinking, by choosing. Is that not what God's love is like? Think, think as Reformed people, you ought to know that because we emphasize the doctrine of election that is revealed everywhere in the Bible. That God's love means that from eternity with His mind, He has thought of us. As we sang in Psalter 383, with many precious thoughts toward us. And He has chosen us. And that love, who are undeserving. For us then, love may and often does include feelings. But for us too then, that love must be mind governed with thoughts and choices governing our feelings. Even if at times our choices will be made against nice feelings. That's love. Third, love is that which aims or strives for a bond of friendship. It's God's love, isn't it? It's a love that establishes a covenant. And not only establishes a covenant, but maintains that covenant with us unconditionally. Causes us to enjoy and experience that covenant also. That ought to be our love. Love seeks after that relationship. Our love doesn't just do all kinds of things for another person and toward God, but seeks the good of the relationship that we have with God and with others. Love tends to the relationship, cares about that relationship reconciles if there is conflict in that relationship, forgives, seeks after those who are not yet believers that they may be in relationship with us in the church. That's love. Love is delight. Love is mind-governed. 
Love is seeking a bond of friendship. And fourth, love becomes a self-sacrificial giving. It's an action. Action. Scripture emphasizes this point. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 1 John 4.10 and 11 Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He gave, He sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. That proves love isn't just feeling. Good feeling, doesn't it, young people? Did it feel good for Jesus to give Himself up? Did it feel good? No. It felt like hell. Because it was. But that proves that love is this mind-governed delight in us, in others. Which is what we ought to have. It goes against feelings of pleasure sometimes. Thankfully, we will never have to sacrifice ourselves to the degree that Jesus has because He has completed His atoning work and suffered our hell. But we will give up if we have love. We will give up of ourselves, our conveniences, our time, our energy, our ease, our very physical life even to serve God. In our neighbor. Paul prays for this kind of love. In the Philippian church. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. And when he prays for that kind of love in the Philippian church. He is praying for two things. Both that they may love God. And that they may love one another. Notice that he's not explicit about whether he's talking about a love directed upward to God or a love directed horizontally to each other. He intentionally, purposefully does not speak of one explicitly because he means both. In fact, beloved, you don't have love unless you have both. Both a love for God and a love for the neighbor. 1 John 4, verse 7, love is of God. Love is of God. So anyone, anyone who claims in this world to love their neighbor, to love their wife, to love their brother, to love their sister, and doesn't love God, has a counterfeit love. The unbeliever cannot truly love God, and therefore cannot truly love the neighbor either. But now, in addition to that, To love the neighbor is to show that you love God. So that if you're not truly loving the neighbor and your brother and sister, then you are not truly loving God. 1 John 1 verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. So if someone in the world you hear, Someone in the world claims to love his brother, but not God, then he's lying. But that is true too of someone in the church 
He claims to love God, but hates his brother. He is as much of a liar. Paul, by the Spirit, doesn't distinguish between love for God and love for the neighbor. Because it's both and that must be in the heart and life of the child of God if he has, if she has true love. Paul prays for this love that it may abound more and more. The Philippians had showed love already. You remember the context. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus with money to Paul while he was in prison. They had shown, they had demonstrated that love. They had sent that money not because they had a lot of money themselves, but they had sent that money out of their poverty. And Paul, Paul had received it encouraged by their love, not because he selfishly desired their money and liked it so much, but because their love proved that they were fellow believers. And now Paul thanks God for this love that the Philippians already have. But he prays. More, oh God. Let there be more of that love. But now notice in this first point that this love is especially a discerning kind. Paul doesn't want some vague notion of love out there. Even back then in Paul's day, many had this erroneous idea of love that it is all about passions and feelings rather than the mind. And so Paul makes explicit the kind of love he wants and prays for in the Philippian church. Pray that your love may abound yet more and more. And then this phrase, in knowledge and in all judgment. And that word judgment means discernment. That's where we get the word we include in the theme of this sermon. Discernment. A discerning kind of love. That's what I pray for, Paul says. A discerning kind of love. That that discerning kind of love may abound more and more. You see, young people, true love doesn't cloud judgment, but rather it enhances judgment or discernment. For example, when an unmarried man feels attracted to an unmarried woman and vice versa, and the passions and desires take over the mind, as we say, so that the two blindly do what only belongs in the marriage bond, Most call that love. Scripture does not. Scripture on the contrary says, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Charity or love seeketh not her own. What feels good for me? Love doesn't just do what feels good, but it's governed by the mind, thinking carefully about what God requires, and out of love for God, and out of love for that significant other in the dating relationship. There is a self-control. That's true love. Along with Paul, therefore, young people, I pray, I pray that you young people not decrease in love, but rather increase in true love and abound in that more and more, the kind of love that is a discerning kind in all knowledge and judgment. 
when a married man and a married woman have conflict in a marriage and great sins are committed against one another, the counselors of the world and even so-called Christian counselors advise divorce, remarry, all in the name of love. And God's Word says, love never fails. Love perseveres, endures all things. No, love doesn't condone sin. It addresses sin in marriage too. But love is a discerning kind which discerns what God's Word says about the permanency of marriage. Discerns the kind of love that Christ our husband has toward us, an unfaithful bride. And with that discerning kind of love seeks to show that love within a marriage that is in conflict with one another. Even if the whole world and every church in the world says divorce and remarriage is okay, true love is a discerning kind that listens to God's word about marriage. And parenting. Love doesn't always feel good when you must discipline your children. But love is a discerning kind, mind governed, that knows I ought not spare the rod. Neither ought I to bring that rod down too harshly. It's a discerning kind. Not governed by the emotions of natural love or anger. And discerning love is necessary when witnessing to unbelievers or those who are holding to error. And doesn't condone sin. That's not love. It addresses sin. That's a discerning kind. But doesn't just address sin like a blockhead. Quickly, impatiently, rashly, accusatory in the tone. A discerning love brings up the difficult topics in a gentle, humble manner. Because love is patient, love is kind, love is not unseemly. It is careful, both in what it says and in the manner in which we say it. And that discerning love affects controversy also in the church of Jesus Christ. A discerning love does not close the mind to careful thought about doctrinal issues and language. A discerning love doesn't say, I don't even want to think about it. I can't believe that false doctrine can ever enter into the church. There's no way that error will ever be taught here. It's not a discerning love. Discerning love is careful, evaluating out of love for God and His truth, 
and love for God's people who need the truth and only the truth. You see, many in the church world say doctrine divides. Too much thinking about truth just divides. Let us have peace at all costs, unity at all costs, even though there are significant doctrinal differences. Let's just all be one. Paul doesn't pray for that kind of love, beloved. Paul prays for a discerning kind. More and more of a discerning kind that will evaluate what is taught. A discerning kind that understands the error and works hard to understand it. How to properly remove it. A discerning kind that doesn't make rash judgments, that knows how to speak of error and not engage in the name calling of heretic. A discerning kind that knows how to read a magazine. And not jump to suspicions and rash accusations of others. Pointing the finger quickly that you hold to a works principle, I see. A discerning kind of love has a self-control. It tempers our sharpness even. Knowing who is a brother that needs to learn and who is an enemy that consciously and intentionally rejects the gospel. This discerning love constantly evaluates and reevaluates what is the most excellent way of doing things. That's verse 10. That he may prove or test or evaluate things that are excellent. It's an extremely practical point. Discerning love knows what is good, what is better, and what is best or excellent. That's the word there. Discerning love doesn't just know what's right, but what is expedient. 1 Corinthians 6.12 helps us here. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Beloved, there is an attitude of fine in the church and in my own life. It's an attitude that's not truly discerning love. It's an attitude that says, I don't care what others think. I know I'm not doing anything wrong. So I'm just going to do it. It's my liberty. It's not against the law. Nowhere in the Bible does it say I may not. You can fill in the blank. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, I may not. It's right. It's lawful for me. That's not love. You see, true love is a discerning kind, Paul describes. That doesn't just dump himself on what is right. But recognizes, 
I need to seek what is most expedient, what is most excellent, what is best for my spiritual welfare, what is best for my church, what is best for the glory of God in my life and in this place. True love evaluates what is expedient. Is there a better manner that I must use to address this or that problem? This error. Is there a better manner whereby I may win hearts rather than painfully hurt already hurting people. When the church of Philippi read this letter from Paul, and they came to verse 9 where they read Paul's prayer for them, the question that they had to ask themselves was this. How are we doing with this discerning love? Is this our love? This love with knowledge and discernment that seeks not only what's right, but evaluates what is most excellent, what's best. And the answer the Philippians had to come up with and the answer that we have to come up with is this. We have a lot of room to grow. We have more to learn about this love. And that shows us the wisdom of Paul in writing this implicit exhortation in the form of a prayer. Paul doesn't flat out explicitly say, you need more discerning love, though that's implied. But he says, I am praying that you abound in this love more and more. Upon every remembrance of you, remember, Paul says, I pray that you may have this love more and more. And since I know you struggle with this discerning love, he implies, I pray that you abound more and more in it. And his prayer, recorded in Scripture, and his prayer now preached off this pulpit, is supposed It's supposed to guide the hearts of the members of the church, each member who listened by faith, to pray along with Paul and the pastor. Beloved members of Hope PRC, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. Not just any love, but this discerning kind of love that it may bound more and more in this church and in this denomination and in this world. As your pastor, I pray for this in my congregational prayers and in my private prayers. And as I pray, I pray that you pray the same. Do you? Have you been? That we may, as a church, abound in this love. Literally overflow with it. Never ceasing to increase in it. Beloved, pray. Pray for this every day.
for this discerning love more than ever before in your lives. We need these petitions made. In our church and churches. In a day and age when so many false notions of love plague the church. And in a day and age when we as a church overreact and eliminate love altogether sometimes. Pray earnestly for this discerning love. The prayer of this text is significant because it leads us to make the same prayer but also significant because it points us to the source of this discerning love. Why does Paul pray for it? Because he's pointing all of God's people upward and saying, look, the only way you get this discerning love is from above, from God Himself. God is not only the example and the epitome of love, but He is the source of it. If you this evening only heard the call to love and the call to pray for love, you would have major problems because you would only hear the law summed up by love. Therefore, you must hear not only the call to love, but also the source of love. The source of love is God. The source of love is Jesus Christ again. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is love, remember. Not first of all that we love God and are called to it. And love our neighbor. But this is love. He loved us. That is what we need to set our hearts upon this evening. Again. Verse 11 is the most crucial part of this text. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. How do we increase in this discerning love? Only by being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. All the power comes from Jesus Christ and His righteousness. It's a simple but critical point. You feel guilty for not loving as you ought? I do. You feel a lack of love in your own heart and in your church? You should. Don't go immediately to improving. To with your willpower trying. It won't help. You need to go back, back to Jesus Christ and His righteousness or Jesus Christ and His forgiveness. The righteousness referred to here in this text is the justification that comes from Christ and Him crucified. The righteousness here is Jesus' righteousness which He lived 2,000 years ago already finished on your behalf. The righteousness here is that which He earned for us at the cross when He suffered and died. 
So that though you are unrighteous in all your lack of love and hatred, one for another and for God, God looks upon you in Jesus Christ and He says, Righteous, righteous because of my Son and because of Him alone. The first thing you ought to do and that I ought to do in hearing the call to love is not, is not go and try to improve, but is back to Jesus to remember Him who says, I love you. I had a discerning love for you. I chose you from eternity with a love so great that I gave myself for you. And now you're righteous in my sight and always will be. And as we cling by faith, by faith alone to this righteousness of Jesus Christ, then there will be the fruits of righteousness, as verse 11 says. The first of which is love. As we cling to the love of God, which justifies us in Jesus Christ. There flows from Jesus Christ unto us as a living vine to the branches. His own love. Do you not sense that? Do you not sense that as you listen by faith to the righteousness of Christ imputed to you? Now there's power. Now there's a motivation of thanks that wells up in our hearts that says, Oh yes, Lord, yes, Because of thy love for me in Jesus Christ, I love thee and I want to serve thee with this discerning love, a mind-governed love, a love that wants to go forth to seek, to seek fellowship with thee. Because thou hast loved me first, a love that wants to sell, to sacrifice of myself to thee, not to pay thee back, but to render grateful returns of ardent love for so great a love toward me. Depending by faith in Jesus Christ, you see, we recognize that it's not really our prayers that get from God better love. Though we do pray, and the Spirit works in us to pray with all of our hearts, But as we pray by faith, we see Jesus Christ praying this exact prayer. It is Jesus that speaks in His Word, is it not? Jesus, our mediator in heaven right now, He says, this I pray, that that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Ah. And if Jesus prays, and He brings that petition to God, our Father in heaven, asking the Lord, God, to fulfill His requests because of His merits and not our own, His will will be done. Which brings us to the goal of all this. 
Christ's goal, God's goal, and therefore our goal, which He works in us, is twofold. It's found in this text also. First, so that we may display evidence. So that we may display evidence that we are indeed saved by God's love. That's verse 10. That he may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Meaning now through and to the day of Christ. That he may be sincere and without offense. To understand this, think of the opposite. The opposite of these words. The opposite is not sincere, but insincerity. The opposite is hypocrisy. The opposite is saying, yes, we are saved by the love of Christ. And then acting without any love. The opposite is an impenitent inconsistency. Saying we believe in the grace of God and have no grace toward each other. We believe, believe in the unconditional covenant that God has established with us and then making a thousand and one conditions before we be reconciled. That's insincere. The behavior contradicts the very truth we speak. And it offends. That's the word in the text too. Maybe sincere and without offense. The opposite of that is with offense. The opposite of that is this. That our behavior becomes a reason that many stumble. That's what the, the word offense means. A stumbling block. Our bad example is the occasion for others in the church to show the same uncharitable attitude one toward another. Our ungracious spirit becomes the reason many in the world refuse to place a foot in our church building. It's not the truth that actually offends. It's not the cross that actually offends. But it's our life, our hateful tone, our manner of bringing that truth that offends. May that never be, beloved. May that never be. And God, help us repent if it is indeed what is happening. And may God forgive us for letting that insincerity and offense take place. In contrast to that, Paul prays for this instead as the goal that he may be sincere or consistent without offense. More and more like that. That the people who say they believe in the magnanimous love of God may abound more and more in that same magnanimous love. That the people who say I believe in the grace of God to chief sinners live with that humble kind of love, with grace, treating others as lesser sinners than self. 
that the people who hold to unconditional covenant show the same unconditional love for each other. That's consistent, that's sincere. The light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to reflect in our lives with love. Until the day of Jesus Christ we read. On that day of Jesus Christ called Judgment Day, your body and your soul will be raised and renewed and you will be gathered with His elect sheep already enjoying the blessings of salvation in your renewed body to prove on Judgment Day already that you have already been saved. And on that day you'll see all your works, both good and evil, made known publicly to all before Jesus. And thankfully none of those works will be the basis of your righteousness and the reason that you will enter heaven. For if one of those works were the basis, then you would not enter. Righteous He will declare concerning you, Because of my finished work, because of my righteousness, Jesus will say, that I have completed already. But then, for the glory of His name, for the glory of His name, He will point to the fruits of righteousness, to the love The loving works also, which will be consistent with the salvation He has wrought for us and in us. Look, He will say to the world, these are evidences consistent with the fact that I have saved my people. And that leads to the last goal which has already been implied. Why does Christ save us? Why does He work in us this love? Not so that men and women may look at you and me and say, what a godly Christian. What a loving PR. No, in fact, the opposite may come and slander those who hold to God's Word, loving His truth, and even loving the neighbor with that truth, will hear the name calling. You will be called hateful. You will be called proud because of your convictions. But the goal you see is not your glory. It's not what we seek after. The goal is God's glory, and that's verse 11. Why do we pray? Why do we have this love? Unto the glory and praise of God. That God's elect people may see the grace of God in us and through us and may join us to glorify and praise God now and in the end to glorify and praise God and His Son Jesus Christ for His work for us 
And yes, for his work in us also. Look, the judge of the world will say, look at my work in justifying my people freely only because of my righteousness. That is why they enter heaven. And look at my work of discerning love, which I have caused to overflow from them, which has nothing to do with their justification, but has everything to do with my glory. Amen. Father, we pray that our love may abound yet more and more the discerning kind of love that we may test and evaluate and do the things which are excellent and most beneficial. Work in us that we may be sincere and without offense now until the day of Jesus Christ. Fill us with the fruits of righteousness so that as we cling to Him who is our righteousness, we might bring forth fruits of thanks in that discerning love unto the praise and glory of Thee, our God. That is what we desire according to the new man. Glory, glory, glory be to Thee. Glory be to Thy love. So let it be, O God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.